0: Hello, thanks for joining. I'm Derek Duncan. This is episode 35 of the Feed the Ball podcast, and today I'm speaking with P.B. Dye. P.B. Dye was a young boy when he first understood what his father, the great course designer Pete Dye, did for a living. Beginning with Crooked Stick in Indiana, P.B. Dye began joining Pete on construction sites, learning the family trade first through observation, then operating tractors, and eventually as an assistant on numerous projects. It was the ultimate apprenticeship for a young designer. PB had a front-row seat to watch how Di built golf courses in the field, without plans or blueprints, using ragtag teams of laborers and aspiring architects. Throughout his 30-plus year professional career, from helping run jobs for his father at places like the Honors Course in Tennessee and Long Cove Club on Hilton Head to his own solo projects, PB has remained faithful to that hands-on, do-it-yourself, improvisational approach to designing golf holes. One of his first big breaks came in the mid-1980s in the North Atlanta suburbs when he was hired to build Atlanta National, an ambitious golf-only club for a passionate and dedicated group of owners. The course got the full dye treatment, with bulkheaded water features, topsy turving putting surfaces, deep pot bunkers, and even an island green. PB continued to carry forth the dye style and philosophy of construction to jobs in France, Italy, the Dominican Republic, Curaçao, Mexico, Brazil, and throughout the United States. He remains a busy designer, working sites for weeks at a time, personally shaping features and operating equipment. Like his father, he was and remains a pioneer in the design-build branch of course construction, because, as he explains here, it's the only way he knows. While the last two years have been difficult times for the Dyes, at the time of this interview, Pete Dye was 92 years old and battling severe dementia-related issues, PB remains ever the optimist, and he was happy to join me recently to talk about the family design legacy their illustrious careers as glorified ditch diggers, and their ongoing pursuit in making tour players think and combating the modern game through design deception. As you'll hear, he's an incredibly joyous man who loves his family deeply. It was a delightful conversation with a lot of good stories, a lot of laughter, some wonderful digressions, and also some wonderful aversions as well. It was very pleasurable to talk to him, and here he is, the irrepressible Mr. P.B. Dye. So where, where are you? Did you? Are you up in Ohio right now? Did you say you're in Urbana?
1: I am in Urbana, Ohio, in my little log cabin. I'm on the second hole of the Urbana Country Club, where I built the second nine holes in 1992 to the first nine holes that was built by Paul Francis Dye, my grandfather, in 1922, three years before Dad was born. It's an actual grandfather, it's a grandfather-grandson <laughs> coalition golf course. There. A rarity in golf.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have to ask this first. Your grandfather went by the name of Pink. Why was that? What's the story behind that nickname? Pink? Yes.
1: Uh, he had uh, red hair, blue eyes, and, and, you know, that pink skin, you know, like an Irishman up here. And they called him Pinky Dot. That was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His real name was Paul Francis. He was either called PF or Pink.
0: What and yeah. so tell the story real quick about how he built that golf course. It's the only one he built. He was not his profession was not a golf course architect.
1: Well, my grandfather sold crop insurance in the state of Ohio. He had a few businesses that he owned here in downtown Urbana. And after World War I, he played a little golf up and a little area up in, in Pennsylvania and fell in love with the game in about 1918-1919. And in 1922, when the town of Springfield, Ohio, commissioned Donald Ross to build the Springfield Country Club, my grandfather said, well, I'll drive to Columbus to play golf, but I will never drive to Springfield to play golf. There's a little competition between Urbana and Springfield. So on his... Future wife's father's property, he built six holes that opened in 1922, and three holes that opened in 1923. So it hey, he had a little nine-hole golf course with two sets of tees, and they had a lot of fun back in those days.
0: <laughs> What's the source of the competition between Springfield and Urbana?
1: I wasn't alive then to tell you, but that's <laughs> are what they it still was.
0: competitive? <laughs>
1: um, I've. Never even, it's never come into my life, so I have no idea. But I wasn't around back in 1920. But it must have been a real thing. He,
0: do you know if your grandfather, what, what else did he know about architecture? I mean, that was that was one of the, probably the greatest, most fertile period of American golf architecture. Did, did he know what was going on with Donald Ross and other architects who were working at that time?
1: You know, I really don't know that. I just think he did it because he loved the game so much. And he had a passion for it. And, you know, the opportunity arose. I'm sure that he had played Soyota many times and he'd played some other great golf courses by then and he just copied it and you know came out here and did the work, got the work done himself. You know, just like dad's always done and like what I always do, you know. And when they somebody hires us, you get us and we build the golf course. Right. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun to build it's fun to build a golf course.
0: You still enjoy it after all these years?
1: I spent 37 days on a tractor up in Burlington, Vermont this summer. Yeah, I love it.
0: Tell me more about that. What's the project Well, you know,
1: it's like like I tell people. I said, you know, everybody had a sandbox when they grew up as a kid. Well, my sandbox just got bigger, Mm -hmm. and my talking toys turned into caterpillars. (laughs) So, you know, it's fun. It's You get to play in the dirt.
0: You have a cabin at Urbana now, you said is
1: it, yeah I have a. we had um we've got about 15 acres here that adjoins the the new nine holes at the Urbana Country Club that we've been here for 20 plus years and we spend the summers up here it's just absolutely like as neil young says it's it's a little heart of gold you know it's just a great little place
0: and how is the how is the uh how was that for you to be able to add nine holes onto the nine holes that your grandfather built? That must've been, that's probably got to be one of the most, your favorite projects that you've done. In
1: 1992, my 94 year old grandmother said, PB, they've got 60 acres up there at Urbana, go up and build the golf course. And my answer was, yes, ma'am. I will take care of that right away. (laughs) (laughs) And came up here and, uh, Luckily, during the time that I was doing this work up here, I was commissioned to do a job called the Heritage Club in Hilliard, Ohio. So it allowed me to spend a lot of time up here, and, and the commute from one job site to the other was about 30 minutes on the back roads between the cornfields. So I spent a summer up here in my cousin Andy Doss's attic, living in his attic, and, and getting the Urbana Country Club new nine holes built and building the Heritage Club over in Hilliard, Ohio. It was just a wonderful summer.
0: I bet. Now, did you make a conscious effort to try to blend the holes, the new holes into the holes that your grandfather had built?
1: Well, what I did do was I built topsoil greens, the same as my grandfather did in the 20s. And uh, But as far as, you know, the style, no, not really. I just – I have learned – and been taught by my dad, you just, you let the ground, you let everything around you help you in creating what needs to be created. And, and building this nine holes, I had help from three or four other people that have worked with us over the years and and it was a combined effort by an old friend named Maxie Robertson who goes all the way back to the early days of the golf club and another good friend named Jim Harbin who's been on his own for several years and another good friend named jim bollinger and we all took turns and running equipment out here and just getting the work done you know because all of us love what we do
0: yeah i asked that because the style of of your architecture is traditionally over the course of your career has been very distinct and I, not knowing that golf course i didn't know if it if it mirrored it all if you made any adaptations to your own shaping style uh to blend in with those holes that had been there since
1: 1925 um no because of the the original pinky dye greens i would say that six of them are very distinctive because they created a rectangular shaped pad and then shaped the green on the pad so they you know in those days they they they, they moved dirt by mule pans, which were little wooden scraper boxes I pulled behind horses, where I had the access to the modern Caterpillar equipment, so it allows me a lot more, you know, uh, flexibility that, that in those days, you know, they were just trying to get the thing built and, and in a restrictive time, and you can see you know, uh, where the earth was moved from A to B, and and done in a very simple fashion. And in that respect, yes, i tried try to, to do the same thing and, and, and lay the golf course on the land and get it built as easily as possible. Uh, I, I literally built these nine holes with an irrigation system with a lot of help from other people for under $250,000. Wow. So it was, you know, I, I called in every marker I had to get this place built. <laughs> But as I said, when your grandmother, when your 94-year-old grandmother says, go up there and get it done, your answer is yes, ma'am.
0: Would it be possible to build another nine holes somewhere else that you didn't, where you didn't have to call in your connection, so to speak, or you didn't have access to the Let's say the land was taken care of. But is it even possible in another situation to build nine holes for that amount of money?
1: I have just built eight new greens and six holes. At the Quinte Osqua Golf Club in Shelburne, Vermont, for under three hundred thousand dollars. So you ask me that, I would say yes. What's this?
0: I was up. Yeah. I, was,
1: I was up there. I spent thirty-seven days on a tractor, <laughs> and we started August first, and I had eight greens planted by September fifteenth, and they are mowing them today. That's awesome.
0: Good. Well, so what's the what's the key then? I mean, because in Throughout golf course construction, especially going back 30, 40 years, there's so much money spent, you know, cost, construction costs, you know, got out of control there for so many years. And I feel like there's kind of a a shift back to being a little more efficient and cost conscious. But so what is the key to keeping costs down, especially at a project like the one in Vermont you're talking about? Passion. (laughs) well
1: that the the, the owner of this project his name is Bob Nappy and he bought 12 holes because 6 holes had been sold for real estate by the previous owner and his passion was to make that golf course survive and because of that passion and love for the game of golf I went up and helped him and that's the reason it was done so cost efficiently, and we just got very, very lucky with the weather up there. And in six weeks, we built eight topsail greens, got them irrigated, got them planted, and they were mowing them last week when I was up there. So we just, we just sometimes you just get lucky, and you got to you got to have a lot of help from the man upstairs.
0: Okay, so so you got the cooperation from the man upstairs. The weather was, was good to you, uh, but that when you say passionate, I mean that's a little bit of an indictment on all the golf courses that spend overspend or can't do it on an, an efficient budget. Do they lack? There's passion? a differ-
1: There's a different. There's a difference between passion and ego. Explain. <laughs> I don't have to. You should know the difference between passion and ego. Some people who are listening <laughs> might
0: want to hear your take on it, though.
1: Yeah. As I said, the, the, Mr. Nappy was giving back to the game of golf. And I am all about giving to the game of golf. That has been the game of golf has been absolutely wonderful to my family. And it deserves to be treated that way. So that's, that's just, you know, it's, it's one of my. <clears throat> it's one of the things I love to do is give back to the game. So that's what we did. The passion of that—that's all I can tell you. Yeah. There's no.
0: It was a passion project. No, there's
1: there was no really there's no other motivation or not to prove anything or you know to to profit from it. It was just because we did it because we just because we love the game of golf.
0: So this project and Urbana were definitely passion projects. Have you have you found yourself over the at times in your career? Uh, sort of stuck in a job where you didn't feel like the, it was possible to for your passion to uh, express itself or to get into the ground
1: no not at all i've you know i've loved everything we've done as people say about both my dad my brother and myself you guys have never worked a day in your life
0: <laughs> that's why. i mean that's yeah. i
1: tell you what at, at the end of the day we're as dirty and dusty and muddy as any human being possible but we've had a lot of fun
0: i mean that's what they say right you know do something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life that sounds like what you're talking about
1: because as you know you know how many sets of plans we've drawn right like less than five (laughs)
0: uh look at a
1: cheerio and you'll figure that out yeah
0: that's well i mean that's the reputation (laughs) you guys have had and the one of the like the lasting legacies that that your father and you will leave is to really pioneer or re-pioneer i'm not sure how it was done in 1915 or 1920 but pioneer the idea of not using major contractors not putting a stack of plans and blueprints down on a table and bidding it out you guys got like cause you're talking about god in the dirt you figured it out in the field. You didn't draw it. You got on bulldozers and excavators and sand pros and worked it out in the ground. That's one of the legacies that we're seeing continue on and maybe even grow with this latest generation of architects and shapers.
1: Well, I've always related it to, it's the same as raising children. The more you're there, the better they turn out
0: sure i can see i definitely can. That's
1: all, that's all i can tell you you know and i have not raised children but i have built more than 70 golf courses and i've been on site and enjoy working on the golf courses it's a lot of fun
0: does it take a unique personality or a unique disposition to be able to build golf courses that way well you know
1: i've always said that i'm the, the golfer's worst enemy i'm a I'm a bulldozer operator with a scratch handicap and an Irish sense of humor. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> you know, it, you, you just, we enjoy and love what we do. And, you know, the, the game of golf is, you know, uh, as I said, has been very, very wonderful to our family. And, and, uh, it's just a great game. And, you know, I wish every more people in the world played it. We wouldn't have as many problems as we have today.
0: It, it, that's a good sentiment i mean i'm all for it let's get everybody on the golf course
1: well you know you 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 grow up with the ethics of the game and the rules of golf and it just you know continues in your life that's a that's what the first tee's about and and what're we're, while what we're trying to get more junior golfers in here because you know it's a great game and it 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 humbles you it you know it creates integrity you know one day you have it the next day you don't and, you know, it's just, it's a very unique game.
0: Yeah. And uh, that, that discipline and that respect for the, for the game works most of the time. I agree. You don't, you know, you, you meet a lot of good characters in golf, not everybody, of course, but you meet a lot of good characters and, and golf has a way of, of kind of winnowing out uh, some bad tendencies in people if, if it's approached <laughs> the right way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it can bring out the best and the worst in anybody very quickly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> like, I mentioned a second ago about you know this current generation of of architects and and a lot of the younger guys who are independent contractors and shapers who really, you know, their art is in in the field and it's not on a piece of paper. You and 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 we talked about just a minute ago how <clears throat> that's the way you and your father designed golf courses as well but you came up really in an age when that was that was very rare you were surrounded by contemporaries in competition who designed golf courses and and I'll I'll say this you know with less passion and who were more doctrinaire about how they approached it and in the age of the giant general contractor why was how come nobody else, so few people during your era did design golf courses the way the dyes did well
1: some did and some didn't you know and and as i say that uh, the unique thing about building a golf course yourself and not drawing a set of plans is you rarely you can't duplicate a hole because you know the planet's different it's like every human being's different when you get on a piece of land you know, you, you, you feel the land and, and let the land tell you what it dictates. And you can't do that in an office, you know, in downtown Atlanta, if you've never walked the property and 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 know what the owner wants or, know, you know, that's tough to do. But because of the need to grow the game of golf and the production of it that, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to say this in a, in a kind way, you know, There's a difference between a Chevrolet and a Rolls Royce. And it's not just cost. It's just, you know, one is manufactured and the other one's, you know, hand built. And, you know, I can tell you that, you know, Joe Lee was a great friend of the Dye family. And Joe Lee helped the game of golf because he was able to produce sets of plans and working drawings to where a contractor could get a golf course built and an owner Felt comfortable knowing that, you know, here is something that has a legitimate price, like like building a house. And when somebody hired my dad, they were hiring a freestyle artist with a piece of marble saying, "No, figure it out." <laughs> and sometimes that figured out was on top of a mountain or in the bottom of a swamp, and. You know, where nobody had ever tried it before. But, you know, that great statement about, you know, Dean Beeman paying $10 for 400 acres up there. And my dad said, you paid too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They should have paid him to take it (laughs) off their hands. Out of
1: 400 400 acres, 240 acres was underwater. And I walked it. I don't, I'm sorry. I canoed it (laughs) the first three months that we were there.
0: I believe it. (laughs)
1: so somebody says what is it going to cost we're going we have no idea because it's never been done before you know and, and you know one of the great joe hardy one of the great people in the world up there at mystic rock wanted dad to build that course on top of that hill and dad said under one condition and he said what's that he said that you never asked me what it's going to cost Because, you know, you don't know, you know, you don't know how much dynamite you're going to have to use to level off a mountain.
0: Well, for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that's one of the things I always think about your dad and, and, and you and your family as designers is... You really had some very difficult properties like you just said. You know, we live in a, in an age now where it, I, it's really a golden age of, of golf sites. You know, some of these at the top end of the market, at the top end of the design field, these sites are you know, they're the best sites that have ever come open. Even in the nineteen twenties you weren't getting that many sites like like Bannon Dunes or or Barnbugle, you know, or Sand Valley. Well,
1: you know I, I won't I will not agree with you then because the twenties when Mr. Ross was brought down to Pinehurst and asked by the the Tufts family, they said, well, here's 2,000, 3,000 acres out here, go find a golf course. And you did not have the environmental impact that, you know, concerns we have today and wetland restrictions and, and 27 different agencies telling you what to do. But, you know, you also didn't have, you know, the Caterpillar D8s but a lot of things have been built on this planet by hand.
0: You're right. And I'm, I'm underselling uh, a, a great golf site, you know, go, uh, some interior inland golf site up in new England, you yeah. know, Plainfield to just pull something out that, or Marion, that's wow. a great golf site. But as far as like spectacle and, and drama, these oceanside, sandy dunesy sites uh, have been exposed and, and, been made available in the last 20 years. But you, you and your family never have, have never gotten anything that, you know, dramatic. And more often than not, you have been given kind of featureless or difficult land and you've done remarkable things with it, but it's, it's never been a case where I shouldn't say never. And I'm totally overstating what my point here, but you know, you, you've had to make all of your golf courses and haven't had the luxury very often of having such a perfect site that's natural for golf to begin with. Do you agree with that?
1: Well, you know, uh, you think about that, and Teeth of the Dog in the Dominican. Dad's first seaside course, and I built one called La Cana Mm -hmm. down in Cana, which is a seaside golf course. And, and, you know, it's a a thrill to be able to build a seaside golf course. And, of course, during the big development of golf, most golf was uh, affiliated with uh, some sort of real estate development. And you tried to balance and blend golf with real estate to try and, you know, do the best for both, you know, so an owner is happy. And, but, you know, the, the, the courses, the, the band in dunes and and, and stream songs, and some of these these things that are being done today that that where the creativity is just phenomenal and, yeah, you've got wonderful settings, but, I mean, you know, there, there's a, a little difference from, you know, building a golf course that's 10 minutes from downtown Philadelphia or this and that. You know, Bandon Dunes is is like the Dominican Republic was years ago. You have to really want to go play golf to go there. Uh, The great courses in our country, you know, the Pinehurst, the courses in the Carolinas, they were built halfway between up north and down south where the railroad tracks went, and they were primarily built after a after an equestrian area for these high you know high priced thoroughbreds back in those days was established by you know the the owners that brought their horses from Chicago down to Florida or New York down to Florida and if you look at that history that's where you know uh, uh, not uh, uh, not only Pinehurst but uh, the Palmetto Course. And, uh, Camden and, 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 you know, all, all stuff like that. They were, they were built after the horses were there. Hmm. So the horse industry really expanded golf because they kind of went hand in hand because the people that owned the high end thoroughbreds loved to play golf also.
0: Yeah, so it was uh, a def- I don't ever, definite... Uh, I,
1: don't, I don't know if you've ever followed I, I, that, but I mean... That's I never made up. the equestrian
0: <laughs> golf connection. I mean, I know there's a track at Pinehurst, and obviously in, in parts of Florida, there are a lot of horse facilities, but I never made the connection early on in golf between the two. That's interesting.
1: Oh, yeah. That's why they're there. All those courses built back in the 20s. That's why they're there. You know, follow, follow the old railroad tracks.
0: You could definitely do that in Florida, uh, you know, right around you know, the, the coast of Florida, both course. east and west. Yeah,
1: but you know, they the those guys came down and they looked for the ground that had the good footing for the horses. <laughs>
0: you know. Well, just like golf. It's and, all it's all about the ground. It's all about the turf yeah. conditions.
1: And as I said that, that you know, the Tufts family, they were down there and and you know, they had already had the horses down there and then uh you know, down there in, in uh, uh, Camden, out, outside of Columbia, you know, they got the huge equestrian area there and all, all the old, uh, oh, they, they do that big, uh, it's not a fox hunt, but what do they call that thing? You know, the horses go over all the jumps and and uh, same, same thing with uh, uh, the Palmetto course down there just outside of Aiken. You know, that, that was all that stuff. <laughs> That's how, it all, that's how it all happened.
0: I need to brush up on my horse history then.
1: <laughs> well, look at the families that started those courses, and you'll understand that. You'll see, you know, it was the Vanderbilts, and, you know, it
0: was, it was those people coming uh, down. You uh, know. I guess that was a, uh, just kind of part and parcel. <laughs> if you're a, a mega millionaire of, of the golden age, you were dabbling in horses well, as well.
1: That's how they got around, by, by railroad tracks. You
0: know, so put your horse on the train and take it south for the winter.
1: Well, you got to remember the twenties; they just had the model, the Model T, the Model A wasn't even invented yet till twenty eight.
0: <laughs> yeah, it didn't have a, bi- a lot of range on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I still have my original Model A pickup truck in a garage down there in Florida.
0: Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Do you do you break that? Started, How often do you break I that started.
1: out? I, I bought my first Model A at nine years old for fifty bucks, nineteen sixty four at Crooked Stick, and Dad and I have had Model As ever since.
0: Yeah, they're fully functional. Are they? they...
1: Well, the, the first one I had, we used to. It was kind of an old, rusted out pickup truck. We used it to haul sprinklers around Crooked Stick to water fairways. <laughs> but uh, the one I have now is it's fully functional. But I put I installed. 1933 hydraulic brakes on it because I used to drive it to high school.
0: Now, that must have been something, watching PB pull oh, up in yeah. a Model A. <laughs> how'd, the, how'd the ladies uh, like that? Was that a popular move? I,
1: I, I drove my Model A pickup truck to my senior prom.
0: Did that get you dates? Did that get you your wife?
1: Uh, No. My, no, my, my bride, I, 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 I encountered my bride on a golf course during an opening in South Carolina. But, uh,
0: no you know, no I, Model A. You know, it was your other passion. I had, I had you
1: know, and uh, we've got two Model A's down in the Dominican Republic. They're, you know, they're just, as we say, if you can't fix a Model A with baling wire and a pair of pliers, get another one.
0: <laughs> so what's the Model A market like right now? Is it Are there a lot of Model A's out there waiting to be had, or do you have to look for them?
1: Do you know what was the first car to outsell the model a
0: no idea
1: <laughs> the mustang you know what was the first car to outsell the mustang the ford taurus there's a lot of model a's out there partner. okay uh, and they're all around and they're the they're still
0: around okay yeah
1: oh yeah uh-huh. the uh the short block on a model a was produced until the 60s because they were put in the old ford 9n tractors they got big old coffee cup cylinders in them, all that stuff. Yeah, that's, it was. <laughs> you can find parts every place for those things.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, so, are you are you flush now on your model laser? Are you still looking to add to your collection?
1: No, 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 no. That's a, it Just I, I have to store it with a friend of mine down here in Florida because I don't own a garage right now. <laughs> all right. Well,
0: what you know. What else are you into? You see, so you collect cars. What else?
1: Love to fly fish, snowmobile, uh, you know, deep sea fishing, play golf. Uh-huh.
0: A man for all seasons. Blow grass,
1: blow leaves, you know, everything everybody else does.
0: All right. Yeah. What's the best natural property that you've ever worked on or, or that your dad ever, you think your dad ever got?
1: Oh, there's no question The teeth of the dog down in the Dominican Republic, there's nothing like it. There were seven holes hanging on the ocean before he got mm-hmm. there. All you had to do was just, you know, as, as he said, it was created by God, discovered by Christopher Columbus, and slightly modified by Pete Dye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete Dye gets all the credit for it now. Well, those first two got a They were the important, but, lot of but yeah, when you read the magazines, it says Pete Dye by the, <laughs> by uh-huh. the name. <laughs> so what about you in your, in your own career on your own? What do you, what's the best natural property that you've ever had?
1: Well, I keep telling everybody that getting this nine holes built at Urbana Country Club has been about as, you know, as much pride as I've ever had at getting anything done, you know, pulling off a miracle.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, you know, every golf course you have is, you know, you try and ask somebody what their favorite golf course is. It's like asking a parent, you know, which is your favorite child? Well, you know, you love them all. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're successful or not, or you know. But I'm, mean, you know, you love them all, and and you know, they are quite a bit like your children. But you know, when you get them built, they belong to somebody else, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and like a lot of things in life, you have absolutely no control over them.
0: Well, uh, I have you two know? young children, and I'm already starting to feel that way. <laughs> There's a great line from the the Sopranos one season where, where Tony Soprano is talking to his wife and they have two teenagers and he says to his wife, they have no idea how much power they have, how much control they have right now. <laughs>
1: That's right. Let alone a two-year-old. Oh, <laughs>
0: Did, uh, a lot of people like on Twitter and in uh, in the media world are reacting right now to Ron Witten's piece that he wrote, uh, I think it just came out this week, about your father. Did you have a chance to see that?
1: I've had a advanced copy of it for a couple of weeks, yeah. yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was very touching. I thought that was well done
1: ron has been a very dear friend of our families for a very very long time
0: i'm sh- that's what it's that comes comes out in that article
1: and as as much as i love ron Witten, i'm going to rat him out right now that he is the only person i've ever known that lost his golf bag while he was carrying it
0: okay i do tell
1: <laughs> there are other witnesses to this we were playing the new course at Bally Bunyan with the architects and he laid his bag, he did not have a ping bag, he had one of those little canvas bags. He laid it down in the high grass looking for his golf ball, and he finally came up to us about 10 minutes later on the green and said, you guys have my golf bag? <laughs> oh, man, did we laugh. Oh, man. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So- and I, and I, I do believe Dr. Mike Herdson was in that foursome.
0: Okay, we can <laughs> we can verify that. it, it, it
1: is a, It is a verifiable story.
0: That speaks to two things. One, that the grass is real is very penal at the new course at Ballybunion, the cashier course, and two, maybe uh, Ron Witten was a little wild that day, hitting it left and
1: right. No, <laughs> oh, it's just one of the great stories of golf. That's all. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, well, you were, and you were playing with uh, with Trent Jones. Pardon? you said you were playing with the architects that was
1: no it was, it was the american society of golf course architects were oh i see
0: Ireland. i see you were playing yeah, yeah. you got every everybody over we there. had a,
1: we had a foursome and i know it was myself mike hertz i'm trying to remember who the other one was and 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 ron and, and, and ron had hit a ball out the hay and we'd look for it look for it and and we just said we're going on he kept looking for it and but he laid his bag down. And he forgot where he put it. He didn't have a ping bag with a stand on it. I guess you know? not. He didn't. Also, <laughs> probably
0: didn't have one of those big staff bags that looked like a barrel. He could find no. That. No,
1: we all we all had carry yeah. bags. You know, it was you know. So how did he this, did this, he just walk into walk time ago. walk
0: into the clubhouse after that with no clubs? No.
1: No, he walked. We were up on the green. He thought he thought he thought one of us had picked up his bag and carried it to the green.
0: Floor. Yeah. No, but he must have gone in. He couldn't. He couldn't finish his round if he had no clubs. No, we went back and found his bag. Okay. <laughs> what else? Give me, give me another Ron Witten story if you've got one. When we opened
1: the Urbana Country Club, the new nine holes, I have a picture of four men wearing shorts, every one of them wearing New Balance sneakers with no socks. <laughs> and guess who you think they are? You got, you got Ron Witten.
0: Yeah, you.
1: Dean Beeman. No, Ron Witten, Dean Beeman, Pete Dye, and a kid named Bill Johnson that was my dad's first cousin's oldest son. All of them wearing New Balance sneakers <laughs> and shorts, <laughs> and I should have sent it to the New Balance and said, "Here's the best ad you've ever had." <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> who needs golf shoes? No,
0: no. Well, now nowadays, yeah, New Balance makes golf shoes, and they're not—they look like running shoes. They're not even golf shoes anymore.
1: Well, these were all—I think almost every one of them were paired Nine ninety eight They were before their dad, time. The dads, dad's Dad's worn sneakers forever. So have I. So, but you know, you know, Ron's been absolutely super, and the article was a was a heartfelt, true. You know, an honest article, and uh, you know, that's you know, it's 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 not easy. Is the only thing I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: how how much time, if if any, do you spend thinking about how influential your dad was in golf course architecture? I, I almost think you know, it's, it goes without saying that he's one of the greatest of all time.
1: It does not cross my mind at all.
0: Is that just because he's, he's your, your dad uh, and you, about, he's so close I, I to it? I don't
1: think about it that way. Uh, what I know is how much fun we've had as a family and how much fun we've had with other people. And, you know, uh, the, the benefit of getting to build a golf course is just, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the sideline. I mean – you look at the great people we've gotten to know, and, and I, I don't mean to say the offspring, but I mean the the people that have gone out and, and, and continued, you know, uh, the love of the game of golf in so many different directions. It's just been, you know, it's great. Only I tell you, know, I mean, but, you know, I don't think about it as, as you know, you know, you know I mean, you know, we're ditch diggers you know we love it and you meet more great people in the game of golf more people great people digging in a ditch than you can ever imagine and you know i don't own a three piece suit and i'm not going to buy one you know i don't I, you know my office is outdoors and that's the way dad's been since about 1959 mm-hmm. and it's just been a, you know it's uh, so i don't ever think about comparing it to Ross or, or, you know, uh, CB McDonald and Seth Rayner those guys. I mean, you know, all those guys, they had to have just as much fun doing it or they wouldn't have done with as good a job as they did. Uh, that's all only you know, you know, and I never knew any of them. You know, I, I, I knew Dick Wilson a little bit and, uh, I knew, uh, Joe Lee a little bit. But I mean, you know, uh, one of these guys that it's worked with dad says, you know, I, in my resume, I see that I've worked with 51 architects. I look back at him and says, I've only worked with one, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and he's not an architect. He's a designer ditch digger, you know, and uh, he's taught me quite a bit. And I've passed on, uh, uh, as much of that as I humanly can to other people and, And it's, I don't, I I don't compare the architecture to try and, you know, what Trent Jones Sr. did or what Gil Hans is doing today or, you know, Tom Doak or my brother or Jack or Jackie Jr. I mean, you know, the greatest thing is if you get a golf course built and open, you got my vote because it's not easy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you do you know, make it make it look easy you know the well, you results know, speak for themselves you know
1: i i I've, I've never raised kids and i know raising kids isn't easy but you know i it, it doesn't stop you from doing trying to try to do your best i guess
0: that's a, i guess that's uh, a job for for historians and writers to to contemplate those things uh, your your dad's legacy in in the game you know uh i still think that you know it's a lot easier though to you know, To compare, you know, hit your dad's work during his career with his contemporaries, you know, rather than going all the way back to Ross and McDonald, you know, that's, that's, that's hard to compare eras. But, you know, your dad was competing against a lot of these guys in in a real, very real business sense. He may not have felt exactly that way. But, you know, there are so many architects, so many jobs. And there, there's a lot of, you know, some crossover and everybody wants to make the best product uh, for their clients and, and, you know, for posterity as well. So he was sep- certainly an uh, influential and outstanding figure in his era.
1: Well, you know, a story that not many people know is, you know, you know who Mickey Powell is. You know that? Uh, wait. pat wait. Past president of the PGA Owned a couple of golf courses, been a good friend, but you know, you know, when he was, dad was selling insurance and Mickey needs something. Dad wrote him a check and sent Mickey to college. Nice. And when Mickey went to pay dad back, he, my dad just said, pass it on. That's the way we are. You know, uh, my mother's father taught me as a child, if you can ever do anything to help somebody, just do it. Never ask for anything in return, just do it to do it. And dad's lived that way, my mother has too. Both my brother and I, we just know uh, we we enjoy what we're doing, and golf has allowed us to do that.
0: What was his relationship with Robert Trent Jones, Sr.? Yeah, well,
1: mine was pretty damn good. I la- I <laughs> Trent Sr. was great. You know, and and dad and Trent were good friends. Um, I knew him enough and got around with him and knew him in, in part of his later years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, know, you know, of course, you know, dad and Jack go back to, you know, everything since the war. And, uh, you know, one of my favorites that I always loved, you know, Ed Say got, you know, with, with Palmer. Mm-hmm. Ed Say was just absolutely just, you know, a stitch. He was way too much fun to be around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I met him a few times. He was fun.
1: But, you know, and, you know, when we have the architects meeting, uh, you know, uh, there may be some little quips between some people. But, I mean, everybody gets along. We all like to play golf. We're competitive as hell. And, you know, we exchange ideas and, you know, all that fun stuff. And... But, you know, I can – oh, man, I can remember going – I can remember uh, meeting George Fazio up at Jupiter Hills. I've known Tom my whole life. Um, I've known Papa, you know, uh, from the – God, I can't even remember the first time I met him. I couldn't have been 12 or 13 years old. Who's Papa? uh, uh, Papa Jones. Okay. You know, senior. Senior senior. Trent, yeah. And uh, oh, oh, God, Lord, you know. And uh, I spent a couple hours with him and Roger Ruwich out there at, uh, at the new Valley Bunyan course when he was not walking mm-hmm. too well and still in a jeep. But I'm, you know, you know, you know, uh, the, he's he's just another person that loved what he did, and um, he sure got a lot of work done. He <laughs> he had a great connection with. With, with somebody got you know he got a lot of golf courses. He built. did.
0: He, got he sure did. I always you got know? the impression that that he viewed the architectural landscape a little more competitively than than it sounds like your dad did. You know, it doesn't sound like your dad had that those thoughts at all. But I think Trent Jones was pretty driven.
1: Well, you know, he he had a way of getting production. You know, where Dad was a personal touch you know, you know, and, 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 Trent, you know, got things financed. He got the, you know, he got the drawings done. He got the people there, got, got it done. And, you know, where dad, you know, uh, you know, somebody said, well, Pete says, why did you build the golf courses the way you did? He says, because I was too dumb to do the drawings. Well, you know, you know, that would be a an answer. Dad would say, but I mean, you know, we did sketches, you know, we've always done some different things but we just have never produced mechanical drawings because we get whomever needs to produce them let them do it but you know dad's been a one-man show he hadn't had a payroll since you know the early 70s except for you know my my mother (laughs) yeah right (laughs) 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 she gets all the money and um, he's never had an office I think the last time he had an office would have been 71 up in Indiana, or 70, 71, but, you know, he's worked out of his house. You know, that's just the way he Way he is, you know. He he is very content with the way he does things, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I know one time that, and I've done this more than once myself, but he was someplace and slipped in the mud and, had to get in a rental car and drive to the airport, get in the airport. And the stewardess looked at him coming on the plane and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not coming on this plane. And she went out there and wrapped him in a blanket <laughs> before she let him sit down. <laughs> you know, that, sounds like, he,
0: that sounds like Pete Dye. Just, he just either, you know, just <laughs> well, doesn't care. It's just part of the job.
1: Well, you know, he got muddy and he had to get to the yeah. airport. He didn't have time to change it's clothes. It's practical. I mean, he just, he just got in the car and went. <laughs> You know, and, you know, it happens.
0: <laughs> okay, this is the part in most podcasts where we cut away for a moment to plug our sponsor. I don't have a sponsor, but I'm going to take a moment for my version of the same thing. Because you're hearing this, I'm assuming you're enjoying these Feed the Ball episodes. And since I record and produce these without the assistance of Callaway, OGO, or a major apparel company, I'd like to let you know that you can help me by taking a few seconds to go to iTunes or another podcast provider Do a search for Feed the Ball and give the show a star rating. And if you're really into what I'm doing here, leave a brief opinion about what you like, or even what you don't like, about these conversations. Or just as helpful, you can share the show with others by tweeting or retweeting it on social media, linking episodes on Facebook, or simply mentioning the show to your golf friends and the people you play golf with. So please, if you would, find a way to show your support and help me by helping grow the audience. Okay, now back to PB Dye. I keep going back to to the way that your family builds golf courses and you've been, you've talked about it a number of times and then I think about the influence that uh, that design style had and and that your your you and your father have have had over the industry and the direction of architecture and it seems like when so many other f- firms were Kind of copying your dad's style with the bulkheading and the the pot bunkers and and that kind of shaping. And there was a, a, a lot of imitation going on. They missed the entire point. The point wasn't the the shapes and the features. The point was that that you the quality of your courses came from the fact that you designed them by hand with passion in the field without drawings. But these people who used contractors and did drawings were trying to emulate your shapes and and angles and styles and and the entire vision of your of your prod your product. That uh, and they were just they completely missed what made your courses unique.
1: Well, you know. Yeah, you know, I've been on a tractor since I was nine years old. Um, now sixty-three. Uh, I just got off a tractor September fifteenth in Burlington, Vermont. You know, Dad was a pretty fair bulldozer operator. He loved to drive a tractor, and that little Smithco that we do on the greens. You know, what you know when you try to create every visual deception you can come up with. To make a good player, to make their eyes lie to them. And, you know, it's like going to the haunted house when they put the ball on the shelf. It looks like the ball rolls uphill. You know, you got to work at that Mm -hmm. and you got to be there to get that done. You cannot let somebody from another country that barely speaks English float your green that has never played golf. Now, when I really started full-time with Dad in 1980 at a place called Long Cove, we had a construction crew there of about 12 people, and 11 of them had a single-digit handicap. And the leader of the pack was a guy named Bobby Weed. <laughs> Who I know Bobby, yeah. done a tremendous, tremendous job since then. But, I mean, we had some characters in that deal and had two of my friends from Indiana that are both scratch players. But, I mean, it went from, you know, highway contractors trying to get them to build a golf course to taking kids right out of, you know, uh, agronomy school from out of Lake City or Michigan State or, or, you know, or Penn State. And put them on a bulldozer, you know, I can teach an agronomy student who's played golf his whole life. I can teach him to run a bulldozer in one day. I cannot teach an operator that builds I-95 to love the game of golf. That's the difference. Now you've got these kids out there today. They love the game of golf. And they want to build these golf courses. So, yeah, it's changing where before you had somebody drawing plans and you get a, you know, a builder, but now you have these golf course builders that they've got these guys working for them that, you know, they're all golfers now. So that has really helped in, you know, this new era of designers and builders that they've got people and there's more knowledge uh, about drainage and, you know, building greens and, and all this stuff, you know, that the, the 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 information that's available out there today, where, you know, when Dad was building Crooked Stick, and he was part of the group with Texas A&M trying to figure it out, you know, well, you know, that was you know 1963. It's 2018. So these guys have got that much of that knowledge. That's out there that's, you know, you hit one button on the computer, it hits the screen. And, you know, we didn't have ADS drainage and all these things (laughs) like that back then. You know, we were taking old sewer pipe and drilling holes in it by hand Mm -hmm. (laughs) or laying, you know, the original greens at crooked stick. When I was eight years old, we put in clay drainage tiles, one foot. Long four inches clay drainage tile, one piece at a time. You know, if you did that today, they look at you go, Hey, this, this, you know, and uh, that's how far back I can remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's come a long way, hasn't it?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I keep telling people, I said, You know, I look at somebody, so, you know, what's the first car you drove? It's oh 1963, you know, Comet. I said, What are you driving today? 2018 Lexus. I said, that's the difference in golf course mowing equipment, golf balls, golf club heads, golf club shafts, everything. And also the hybrid grasses. That's the difference between the 60s and today. And, you know, and there's no way to we'd love to, but it seems almost impossible to turn it back that when you think of the great players of Tom Yarmour and Hagen and, and Hogan and those guys that they hit their best drives at 260 or 270 yards. And those kids out there today are blasting at 400. I don't think they're better players, but you know, the, the car that Sneed drove his first tournament's a little different than what the, you know, These guys are driving their tournaments today. That's the difference. And not only just agronomical technology, but, you know, golf equipment, mowing equipment, everything. It's, you know, it's just part of the deal.
0: Yeah, agronomics are an underrated factor in the way the professionals and tour players hit the ball and the distances.
1: All you gotta do is, you know, you take those tour players and give them 1973 clubs and 1973 golf balls and see how far they hit it. Yeah,
0: and hit and hitting it into uh, a common Bermuda mown fairway. <laughs> you know, I yeah, I've always, you know, it's always struck me that that your father spent so much of his career, maybe more than anybody else who's ever lived, designing certain golf courses that he knew were going to host PGA Tour or LPGA Tour or some kind of professional-level events. He knew that that was what the course was going to be used for at certain times of the year. So he had to design in accordance with that thought and figuring out how to present the strategies and the holds to to work in that type of event scenario.
1: And, and also make it playable for Mrs. Haversham.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> Where do you think that that he ended up on that long journey of his in thinking about the professional game, did he ever did he ever figure it out? I mean, he did better than anybody else, probably. But
1: has anybody told you who my father is married to? If, oh yeah,
0: your your mother was the real golfer in the family.
1: <laughs> you know, over fifty five, maybe the real talent titles. in the family. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Dad was a strong player when he got out of the war, and he played with a lot of strong players, and you know, he knew what. He, 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 he knew and understood the aspects of the games and where it was going and what it takes to challenge a good player. Because if you, you, know, you have somebody that, that, that can hit an 8-iron 150 yards, 99 out of 100 times perfect, and the shot's 150 yards, you have to do something that mentally disturbs that person <laughs> to make him screw up that shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. You know, we do everything we can do. You know, one guy, I built the PB die golf club in Maryland. Right. A guy that was one of the Eastern shore amateurs and a friend of mine, we had played opening day and we're in there and, and all the, all the different scribes and writers are there. And he yells across the thing, says PB. This golf course has got VD. I said, oh, my God, Michael, what are you doing to me? He got everybody. I mean, he screams it. He says, it's visually deceptive and visually disturbing. I'm like, man, I got
0: out of thanks that for, easy. Yeah, thanks easy. <laughs> thanks for not going the other way.
1: I was like, oh, Jesus. What is he doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I'd throw a tomato at me, that's easier, but but God it was uh it was a great line. I'll never forget it. He was pretty something
0: else. Well that kind of sums up your family's design style. <laughs> Not I mean visually deceptive and visually <laughs> demanding or...
1: Well, you know, the thing is I see a lot of golf courses that are have been built and because of an Environmentally, areas or this and that, you know, it's it's tough to get the senior player, the Mr. and Mrs. Havershams around. And you got to get the Mr. and Mrs. Havershams around, you know, and if not, you know, you just can't build a golf course for, you know, the top 60 players in the world. And when the high handicappers and those guys that they go play TPC, if they say we played it like the pros, I said, Oh, you went up to the the middle tees and had fun. They said, No, we played the tips. Well, you know, the pros are hitting a driver eight iron. Would you hit the first hole? Driver three would. I said, Well, you played it like a woman. I said, if you want to play it like the pros, you go to the middle tees and hit driver eight iron. And when somebody figures that out, they say, well, God, this course is playable. But I mean, you know, it's like turning your 16 year old daughter loose in an Indy 500 car, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody's going to have an accident. You know, those 33 guys that go around that circle up in Indianapolis, they're like, you know, the top 60 golf pros, you know, mm-hmm. they're the best. You know, and they need, they need to be challenged and put in the back. And, and, you know, and, and if you got into the mathematics of it, okay. And Mrs. Havershamp plays a 5,000 yard golf course and she hits the ball 150 yards and the touring pros hits it 300 yards they should be playing a 10,000-yard golf course if you want to keep it mathematically balanced. But what's happened, and you look this up, how long was the 18th hole at Marion when Hogan hit driver one iron to the green? And how long is it today when they're hitting three wood, nine iron?
0: I mean, it's longer today than it was in 1950.
1: Oh, I just you, you do the real research. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it to you. I'm gonna make you earn it. <laughs> now,
0: okay, then I'll have to get back to you on that. A
1: guy, a guy by the name of John Daly hits driver one iron. I believe it was on the sixth hole at Baltusrol that was six hundred and thirty one yards long. I remember
0: that. He was like okay. one of the first people that ever got to the green in two.
1: Well, you know, Hogan hit driver one iron to Marion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think I've seen this like in the in the last open at Marion. Uh it was it was kind of a big deal because Justin Rose hit like driver and I think 3 iron but he and actually hit it over the green, but the hole was playing 50 yards longer than it did in Hogan's US Open.
1: Well, the well the last time they played, they hit 3 wood, 9 iron. They weren't hitting three iron, and that thing were hitting three with nine iron.
0: Yeah, I think that day. That, well, anyway, we can we can look that up as so well. if they,
1: they had a big win or something. But I mean, you know, and it's uh, it's as I said, the equipment. All you gotta do is look at what Carl Hogan drove to the nineteen sixty U.S. Open and what those guys drove in two thousand eighteen. That is the difference in the agronomics and the equipment. You know, you can't tell me that any of these kids and yeah they're physically fit but i played golf with sneed as a kid i played golf with tommy armor i played golf with some of those guys there's no way you can tell me
0: they're stronger than those guys Yeah, i don't believe that either so given you know? given all the technological advantages that the current tour player has is it even possible to visually deceive or put you know, as, you, as the famous quote that your dad said. You know, when you, these guys, when you get these guys thinking they're screwed, is it possible to really get in their head?
1: Well, we do. Of course, we do. That's why they screw up all the time.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, because there's the other the other way to look at it is you know we just came off the Ryder Cup and that course was ex- exceedingly narrow and the rough was was punishing and so many people in the golf world thought okay, well, there's there's your answer. That's how to that's how to dial these guys back and this is how to like defend your golf course. It, that seems antithetical to me. I, I'm I don't belong to that point of view. I, I I'd like to think that there are design ideas and angles and de- points of deception that you can use to challenge the tour player. But
1: well, you know, well, you know, the perfect example, seventeen at TPC. Those guys can hit pitching wedge. If you painted a, a circle out in the middle of a driving range and said hit pitching wedge here and start at 6 o'clock in the morning, don't stop until you go to sleep, everyone would be inside that circle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, put it out there on TPC with that gallery and the money and, the, you know, the the, 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 uh, the prestige and everything about it, and, you know, the inside of their gut just turns, <laughs> turns over <laughs> like, somebody, like somebody's put a wrench in them, you know, it's, you know, when that that year that Sports Illustrated called, you know, Palmer the athlete of the year and all the football players said, how can you call him an athlete? They said, try walking up the 18th hole of Augusta knowing that you have to make birdie to win.
0: Right, yeah.
1: (laughs) And see what your stomach looks like, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah,
0: out there all all by yourself. You don't have a teammate.
1: (laughs) You know. Yeah, you can get in their heads, yeah. and then once you get in their heads, they get in their own heads, and they know that's the best part. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's it's a humbling game. <laughs> you know,
0: so so as you know, if 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 someone came to you and and said, you know, I want you to design the next tournament players' club, and it's going to host this tournament, what would you be doing anything differently than you've done throughout your career from a design no. perspective?
1: No it's 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 angles you know different angles and opposing angles everything that dad has taught me everything i've seen from the seth rainers and mcdonald's and mckenzie's and and ross and all that stuff and you know you cannot no that's the wrong terminology but people are unwilling to design a golf course like we used to, that the players had to use every club in the bag because now they carry a driver and 12 wedges (laughs) and a putter. Okay. And ball itself is so advanced and self-correcting that the manipulating the ball has, you know, has ceased. You know, when when Sneed and those boys would come in from a tournament, they'd get in the locker room and says, You know, I had three really good lies in the fairway where I could really nick it. I could really, you know, and now they want thirty six flawless lies and thirty, you know, thirty six flawless putts. And they,
0: they and, often get know, it. The
1: the the old the old thing called the rub of the grain has not been totally eliminated, but has been greatly reduced. And that's due to technology. And, you know, I had heard one story that, that uh, one of the old players, I, I can't remember was Hogan, but it was somebody that he hit every iron good, except for like a seven iron. He couldn't figure it out. And he put it on a machine and it wasn't in, Tuned with the other irons, he just broke it. You know, got a new set, but that's you know back in the fifties, and you know where today. You know the pros. You know all their equipment is, you know it's you know it's it's tuned, it's in balance. You know it's it's you know as I said, the technology has gone that far, and you know what's the old you know we still got the hickory shaft tournament. You know that that'd be fun to see the top four pros play a Skins game with Hickory shafts. Yeah. yeah. That would be unique to yeah.
0: watch. I mean, I think I think given given a little time, they'd figure it out. But it would be fun to watch. And it would be interesting to see the ball move left and right a little bit more and, and play with trajectories a little bit more than we see now.
1: The neat thing, when we were redoing the Gulfstream Country Club about four years ago, that... They brought people down from Palm Beach on the Intercoastal, and they came out down and they unloaded there. But when we dug up some of those lakes and stuff, we found the 1930 golf balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, at the Palmetto Club up there in Aiken, yeah. you know, they find them all the time when they get a little washout and another ball pops up. You know, so
0: it's uh,
1: it's definitely interesting.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, I wanted to talk to you yeah. about. course you did in my neighborhood or my neck of the woods here in atlanta is atlanta national and yeah i mean this is this was one of your your first solo does i know you worked with your father on it as well but i mean this was kind of like your baby if i'm not mistaken to begin with
1: what did the well dad and i were working together at the time and on a couple projects and uh, we both trying to figure out Bob's last yeah, name. Yeah, I couldn't
0: find it. Sorry. Uh, that one of the one of the original uh, investors. Um.
1: And he's the one who brought us up there and 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 had me up there. And he said, you know, can I get your dad's name on this thing? You know, to help sell it. I said, fine. And you know, and Dad, I'd say Dad was on that job site at least six or seven times. You know, I had 160 days, but I mean that's irrelevant. But I mean dad did some things there. He said, you know, put that, uh, fourth hole up on top of the hill. I said, what do you mean up on top of the hill? He says, like number two at Pine Valley. I said, dad, I haven't been to Pine Valley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go though.
1: <laughs> you know, and he, he had some great ideas, you know, and, and, you know, all the guys that were working there, we had Jim Dush and Jim Harbin and Brett Calvin, all these guys, you know, and, you know, they just, you know we all loved working with dad. It was, it was just, it's fun. And, you know, everything he's, you know, he said he wanted to do was, you know, kind of counter to some of the things he taught me in the past. But, you know, you learn that, that you don't always, you know, stick with the same idea. You know, you adapt to the land and that fourth hole that shot up the hill. That's, you know, that's, I'm sorry. So the fifth mm-hmm. hole that goes up the hill. That's a hard ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean you you drive off the tee and you're like there's a little bit of fairway yeah. and then it goes straight up across yeah. a field to it. green, yeah. you can't and, see. And
1: that little false that little false tongue in the front. It was a pretty good false tongue. And then all of a sudden the greens go from 9.5 to 13 and you're going oh no whoa, whoa whoa you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know I keep telling everybody. You put a Ferrari engine in a Model A, you're going to have a wreck that's kind of what happens with some of the, you know, the greens that we built that, you know, you could build at three and a half or 4% grades. and Now you have to build them at 2%. And the problem with building a green at a 2% grade, now they really can get them up to 14. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so what do you do? You know, you know, you take the great old greens that rolled at, you know, six or seven. And now they're rolling nine or 10 and they're almost unputtable. If you flatten them, they just take them right to 13. Well, you know, those 33 guys going around Indy, you know, they can put, you know, they can drive at 240 miles an hour. There's not very many players can put a green. That's over 11. I mean, you just end up four, four or five putting. And what the, what's the fun of that?
0: Yeah. What did, you know, what did
1: the, of, uh, of all, of all the crazy thing we, we've done the best compliment we can have when we finish a golf course was that was a fun golf course. I want to play it again. But if you go out there and five putts six times, you want to give up the game of golf. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of this, you know, keeping up with the tour or the USGA or, you know, whoever decided greens need to be rolling 14. <laughs> you know, it was it didn't come from the architects. I promise you that. Cause it's like, But I mean that's where the technology's going.
0: Well, at Atlanta National, do you remember what the ownership group they wanted a difficult golf course, if I'm not mistaken. Oh
1: yeah, they 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 wanted a a good challenging golf course, but it was still, you know, all the all the forward tees and the women love to play the golf course. They get around pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh
0: well, it earned uh, a reputation, as, especially when it first opened, as, as being brutally difficult. And uh, some of that had to do with the, the maintenance and the long grasses to the sides of the fairways that they, they, shortly thereafter, I think they made some modifications. So people, you know, weren't, you know, searching for golf balls in knee-high grass. Uh, but it, well, it did have a reputation for that being hard. Thing,
1: well, when we started that thing, we didn't have knee-high grass. And then a different owner came in there and started growing a lot of that stuff. And I went back up there and said, you got to cut this back, you know, because you've got it in play. And finally we've got that, you know, and Pete Gurdon was the initial superintendent there. and Pete's up there at grandfather mountain. When he was there, it was flawless. Uh-huh. And when he left, you know, a couple of those egos got in there and, you know, they want to grow hay. Well, the answer we have to growing hay, if you want hay, go buy a farm.
0: <laughs> well, they, they had hay on I their golf this. course. I hate <laughs> stuff. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, I mean, uh, there's, there's one place out here at the Urbana Country Club that we're growing hay. It's on the side of a hill that has no topsoil. But if you grow hay where you have topsoil irrigation fertilizer, you know, you can lose a Buick in it. It's not not the wispy fescues that you have over in Scotland and Ireland are growing in sandy soils that have absolutely no nutrition to them. So they grow real thin and wispy. The stuff that was put up there at Whistling Straits were put on mounds that were pure clay with no topsoil so they didn't grow very good and that's the look they're going for as soon as you start putting that topsoil up there and fertilizing all this stuff you got hay growing you got you know all you got milkweed growing six feet tall and all this stuff that's not what happens over in Scotland and Ireland you go to Shinnecock and in a national all stuff out there that's all sandy soils. But, you know, when you start getting into areas that have topsoil and try and grow hay, like the golf courses are growing in sand, it's tough to do. You know? Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. and, and if you really look at it and study it,
0: it's tough. Well, Atlanta National right now is in pretty good shape. I mean, it's a nice-looking golf course. It's, it's aged – really nice and it's kind of if you go around there it's kind of like the uh, like a greatest hits of all the features that your family is known for you know, there's bulkheading yeah. around some hazards there's pot bunkers there's a short really neat drivable par four there's a big waste area there's an island green so it's kind of a it's kind of like a a hall of fame for the dive family yep. architecture
1: we had we had a lot of fun building it did
0: you so i bring this up and i i, I hope you're you're cool with it but i'm sure you've seen the letter that the late uh writer lewis grizzard uh wrote because he was an early <laughs> member so in the clubhouse I, is this letter people. lewis grizzard for
1: is that the one where he said i needed to be drugged yes tested? he
0: said you needed to be <laughs> he wanted a urine test to see what you were on when you built the golf course
1: <laughs> I, I i sent him a vial of mountain dew
0: <laughs> oh i i that's a great one. What is it actually in this bottle?
1: <laughs> well, I got to play with him and Don Sutton on opening day. You don't think I had any fun, did oh, you? No,
0: Don Sutton, really? Nice. <laughs> and, and Lewis, that's fun. No, I, I, it's, a, it's a great letter. If anybody ever has a chance to go to the locker room and read it, it's funny because he I, was a funny guy.
1: I, 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 I haven't seen that letter in a long time, but yeah, I read it a long time ago. But I mean, you know, my favorite is, Aim low, boys, They're riding Shetland ponies. <laughs> uh, he, he's one of the, you know, three times I've met him. And he's, he's he was just he is one of the great characters in our history. You know, he's he's like he, he's like Samuel Clemens. Mm-hmm. He's a very special person. One of the great
0: humorists of the, the newspaper world for a long time. I know. So the other, the other great quote from that, I'm sure you've seen this or at least heard about it, is Tom Doak's assessment of the course in his original Confidential Guide, and he had a he had a line in it that he said, "PB needs encouragement to make courses difficult, like Madonna needs a dating service." <laughs> no that, comment. Yeah, that was in the <laughs> that was in the 80s. But you had, I mean, I guess you had a reputation for that for a while. Did that ever? did you ever get to the point where you thought that you were being hired by clients to build golf courses that were difficult? Oh,
1: I don't think so. They just knew that we're that, that yeah, I never really looked at it that way. Although that when they had the rankings of the toughest golf courses that were built that, you know, when I built the Morland course, the Moreland course originally got ranked a little tougher than, uh, then the ocean course, <laughs> 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 I was kind of like, of laughed at dad about that one. But, um, but you know, you have that ranking or that image of building the hardest golf course, but yet every one of those golf courses are playable from the forward tees for the girls. And when the pros banished PGA West because they said it was too hard they had at that time 80 female members that had no problem playing that golf course and then after they banished it they got 100 new members like overnight that love the golf course love to play it so you know if you think that dad didn't get into those pros heads you know to the point where they, they played it one time and said Oh, this is too hard. Right, yeah. <laughs> but yet, but yet, Mr. and Mrs. Hammershamp out there playing it every day, you know? <laughs> you go back and look at some of those. I mean, you know, who is it? Gil, uh, I'm having a brain cramp. Gil Morgan? Yeah, the Dr. Old, Gil Morgan? Yeah,
0: the Deal Tour Pro.
1: The first year of TPC. <laughs> At the current TPC Sawgrass. He hits. uh, I'm falling. He hits a hell of a drive on nine. And he hits a second shot. I'm telling you what. 120 feet left. Of the ninth green. Chips it short. Chips it in the bunker. Chips it over the hole. Chips it up in two putts. And walks away and says. Dumbest damn hole I've ever seen. Well, you know, that makes the, you know, it wasn't the dumbest hole. He played it pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the next day on the paper, you know, Gil Morgan says a ninth hole is a dumb golf hole.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Well, if you play it the way he played it, yeah, it'd be pretty dumb. But, the um,
0: TPC, one of the you know, <laughs> great legacies of that course is when it first opened. It it produced some of the great quotes of uh, from the tour pros that have ever been commented, you know, directed toward a golf course like this.
1: Well, if they if they seen it two years prior to that, none of them would have believed it.
0: Just it was a little more uh, in a rough, rugged state, or what? what?
1: Uh, I'm talking about.
0: Oh, you mean be, before only, it was even built? The
1: only the only snakeskins allowed to be posted on the board. Had to be over six feet long,
0: Uh, and that
1: would be rattlesnake skins. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of
0: them. Wow! Yeah, and probably some, (laughs) probably some water moccasins and copperheads. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. It's a no. It's a it's a amazing. That's one of my favorite golf courses, by the way. But it's an obviously an amazing engineering feat. But that was (laughs) so. You were there during in in the eighties and nineties, and the trend was kind of you know making a golf course difficult was a way to get it noticed that was that was an, a a trend in the industry at least amongst a certain faction
1: now well you make it you make it difficult from the back tees you got to
0: well those i think a lot of a lot of that, people didn't get the fact that, that she that it doesn't have to be difficult everywhere
1: well you know wouldn't you love to see the pros play the back tees of pine valley see what the hell happens with them out there I guess my that would be a Yeah, no, my take the pros take the pros the back tees, you know, up there to uh, Fisher Island. I'd love to see them play that thing, you know, a, a, you know, thirty mile an hour crosswind.
0: Do you think that, you that, know, that 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 idea though? What I'm talking about is so many of the new golf courses that were being built. You know, Pine Valley had been there for for a long time, and so is Fisher's Island. There classic old courses but the new courses that were being built it was the way to get the course noticed was and i'm not just talking don't get me i'm not talking about your family i'm talking about the like throughout the industry and maybe people that were maybe trying to emulate what you guys were doing but it was the the difficulty quotient was part of of the the marketing factor of how to get a golf course noticed and respected
1: that and well you know uh, you know i know you're looking at that way but the great golf courses in our country and over in England and Ireland and Australia and this and that, they're all tough. <laughs> you know, I mean...
0: Well, every know, golf course can be tough <laughs> d- depending on the player I, I, in the day. But I mean, you
1: know, you look at how dramatic the new course at St. Andrews is and, and the birth of golf, you know, at the old course, and you start looking at Courses like La Hinch and Bally Bunyan and Royal Dorney, you know, you look at some of those and you're going, you got to be kidding me. We're supposed to play this. Yeah, I hear
0: you can even use your as, golf you bag know, as, at Bally as, Bunyan. As, as,
1: <laughs> as dad said, you know, if you put a flag on top of Mount Everest, a golfer would figure out some way to play it. Right. It's just, you know, that's just, that's just, you know, uh, yeah. you know, as we say, if you want easy, go bowling
0: well so this is really where i was going with that pb is there does more than ever maybe at least in my lifetime there's more of a movement now in in new architecture to 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 widen things out and i don't know what the goal is to make it easier but it is to make it a more approachable and you know i was just up at sand valley and played mammoth dunes and that's the widest golf course probably that's ever been built and I, I wonder. I wonder what you think of that. This movement toward being, you know, taking golf in a way that's less demanding, more wide, more playable. Is that? Are we getting to the point where it's too easy now? Should we? Should golf frustrate a little bit more than than that direction of architecture is intended?
1: Well, you know, not having seen the golf course you're referring to, but you know, uh, Dad's Hampton Hall's got four hundred foot. Corridors and the course I did dinner. Look, the new nine holes that at, at Hacienda, a lot of those fairways are 150, 200 feet wide and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're still not easy, you know. But I mean, you know, you you can have a tree line golf course that, you know, that was built in the 20s when they planted the trees in the 50s. That that the the trees now are six years old. That you know has made it harder than the original golf course was designed because the trees are now 70 years old where they weren't there when the golf course was built. But, you know, you, you talk about the, the, the difficulty of a golf course. When you look at the putting surfaces today and everything involved, you know, the overall scores, you know, haven't really changed that much when you look at the, you know, the, uh, the, the, tour players, yeah, well, you know, if you, if you send a tour player out on a 6,600 yard par 72 golf course, you know, he might have 13 birdies because, you know, there's, you know, not that much challenging him if it's, you know, flat acres, but you know, those are the golf courses that you need to get junior golfers started in golf, starting to love the game of golf, you know, we're having this deal up in Lake Maxinuckie in Culver Indiana there was a five hole golf course built by langford who did the Culver Military Academy course and four holes were added to it and the people that take their children up there and grandchildren up to Lake Maxincuck, it's where they learn how to play golf and drive their first golf cart and you know or walk or this and that and and, and yeah it's kind of open and you know flat or lumpy greens, or whatever it is. But, I mean, you put the pros up there, they shoot 100 under, but you've got, you know, somebody said, you know, before you sail a racing yacht, you've got to row a boat. So, you know, these courses that, you know, the great little nine-hole courses in our country and and public golf courses where, you know, people can learn how to play golf, and then you know, take on the challenges of going to go play the Greenbrier or go, you know, or, or, you know, or, you know, I just got back from the Pete Dye Club. Uh, Yeah, I lost three golf balls and had a couple triple bogeys. But I mean, you know, crazy golfers want to go do those things. But, you know, you don't do that, you know, when you're seven or eight years old, you're just learning how to play golf. You want to find a facility that will accommodate, you know, a higher handicap or a learning golfer. And when you design these new golf courses that you know you're trying to challenge, you know the top sixty pros, and also get you know, as I've told a lot of developers that if Mrs. Smith can't play the golf course, Mr. Smith is not going to write a check. You know, even though I've been saying Habersham, it's the same thing. You've got to get the 50, 60 year old golfers and let them enjoy the golf course. But if you want notoriety, when you bring, you know, you know, we had one of the tour pros back here and he shot 63. Well, you know, guess what? Those tour pros are that good. Right. And it's just like I'm saying, those 33 guys that go around that circle at India, 235 miles an hour, you know, that's not your 14 year old kid learning how to drive for the first time. You know, they're that good. Right. And and until golf starts creating ten thousand yard golf courses to where those great players have to use every club in the bag again or tone back the equipment, you know, they're gonna shoot those great scores. You know, yeah, they're going to make their blunders and mistakes and do the things that we love to see them do. And the only way you can tighten them up is put them in, you know, 12-inch hay rough, you know, because if you make it, you know, you you make two-inch roughs where the rest of us can survive, those guys are so good. You know, uh, they they get it up from, you know, in a trash can, behind the outhouse, you know, (laughs) through the window, off the fifth row, through the loop, and in the hole. I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> they're that good, and that's what you know. And and they're the ones that are driving the industry because we love to watch them all play, and and we all, we like to see them, you know, screw up. You know, uh, you know the cheers you have out there at Phoenix. You know when they play that part three to the hooting and hollering, watching the island green. Yeah, you know it's 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 you know when that ball hits the water, you know, <laughs> you know, or somebody makes a hole in one, it's
0: it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I definitely. I mean, difficulty is is part of the appeal of golf. It's not an easy game. Yeah, now you you have to. What you're saying, you know, especially when you're designing for the for the general player, you can't make it so you can't have greens they're gonna five putt all day but yeah. you know if without difficulty golf loses its interest pretty quickly and that's what i think what what the golf industry right now is 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 struggling with is trying to get new players and a lot of the new players that they're targeting are the younger players and the younger players may not have the same since they don't have a core appreciation for golf if they're new to yeah. the game they don't necessarily might not appreciate that difficulty is an aspect of the game you know, they, they might want it a little easier than it is, which is fundamentally the kind of the opposite of the attraction.
1: So that, that's the beauty of the first Tee program. I mean, you know, instilling the game of golf into people. You know, there's a difference between, you know, being 50 years old and just learning how to play golf and starting at six, seven, eight, or nine years old. And having the game of golf, living by the etiquette and rules of the game of golf, it just, you know, you know, the difference, you know, and, and, you know, all the great golfers that I've ever met have all been great givers to the game and givers to life in general. That's what makes it, that's what makes it such a great game.
0: Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. One other course that I know of of, of years personally uh and I a couple of years ago I was talking to Steve, Steve Smyers about this and we were talking about courses in the Orlando area in courses that we liked and he said one of his favorite courses in the Orlando area was Black Bear and I I'd been there it's a really <laughs> fun golf course what do you remember about building that which is which is just uh, it's north we, Orlando we,
1: we 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 started April 1st we played it uh first of november wow and i walked off the green and looked at my friends and parents and said i have cancer and i just shot 71 <laughs> that's i played with my dad my brother and another guy i shot a usga 71 from the back tees i got everybody in the clubhouse says you know it's been a great day up here but i hate to tell you i've got cancer wow and everybody everybody's face hit yeah it would been a memorable
0: day for them too <laughs> <laughs> well the good news is that was a that was a, a while back so
1: you're <laughs> he, yeah, still going
0: yeah. a good golf course you know, though, so. very very interesting a lot of great angles um a lot of interesting yeah. shapes around the greens a lot of up and down opportunities uh a lot of a variation in in heights of green and depressions and bunkers that's one
1: of the greatest pieces of sand i've ever got to work on i was just
0: gonna say that and sand Fantastic. too yeah
1: pure sand and the, the guy that I built that for, Richard Stein, was one of the great characters I've ever met in golf. We, we had a ball up there.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I haven't been there in a long time, and I should go back. I I talk to the people up there about two or three times a year to get somebody on and see how they're doing. And, but I need to get back there.
0: Yeah, so do I. It's been a number of years since I've been there, but I have good good memories um, and have directed a you number know, of people there, too.
1: It's like I, like I tell people, have you ever climbed Mount Dora?
0: <laughs> all 150 feet of it.
1: <laughs> you know, all four blocks. Right.
0: <laughs> yes. Mount in Florida has a different connotation than it does in the rest of the country. Uh-huh. PB, I'm going to get you out of here in a, in a minute. One thing I was just curious to get your take on, and you referenced this in the Ron Witten story that we all, we all just read. but And you mentioned Long Cove earlier and the crew that you had there. And your dad was always bringing on young people who were eager to design. A lot of them didn't have a lot of experience, but he he, he helped train them and get them involved in the golf world. And the the number of people in, who are in the design field now that came up under Pete Dye and and for you as well is very long. They're well known. I just wonder though, these people often look at your. Your dad as a father figure to them. How did that feel when you saw all these other young guys relating to your dad as sort of a mentor and father figure? But he's your dad. Did did you struggle with that at all? Like, what what were your feelings when in the the dynamics of these relationships?
1: (laughs) Well, let me tell you what. Um, You know, somebody talked about that the other day. I said the great thing is, you know, um, even though I might have some philosophical or whatever differences with a few other different people in the world, the extended die golf family is so integrated and, you know, and you start, start talking about, you know, whether or not, you know, Bobby, we, and I've been great dear friends and, you know, Lee Schmidt and, I um, mean the list can just go on
0: forever. Uh, you know? Cool.
1: And, and, you know, Tom and I, you know, talk with, you know, and you know, I don't feel any competition with any of those guys at all. You know, you know, you know, dad is dad, and and dad sharing everything with all these other guys is absolutely fantastic. And the neat thing is, you know, if I need anything, and I can call, like you know, Tim Hires has just been brought on board. Of course, dad's doing up there in Jacksonville. And I've known Tim Hires forever and ever and ever. I talked to him the other day. And, you know, all of us are open and honest. And, and, you know, and we all have a love and appreciation for both mom and dad and the game of golf. And it's a big family. And I mean, it's, you know, because, you know, I built a golf course with a guy who had worked on uh, one of Jack's jobs and a Nick of course. And he said, he said, this isn't how those guys did it. I said, I understand, but I'm going to show you how we do it. And we got done. This guy just said, this is, this is the only way to build a golf course. I said, that's the only way that I know how, you know, I mean, I know there's other ways to do it, but I mean, you participate, you have fun, you know, and, in, and in, in that extended family and, a lot of our guys have moved on and worked with other architects or done other different things. And, and, you know, but you know, they're all on speed dial and, and it's really fun because when I go from one, you know, job site to another, this and that, and there's either another architect or another golf course superintendent, I always say, if you called so-and-so, oh, not in six or eight months, well, will call him up, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's been, you know, I I don't want to say that I've enjoyed, you know, sharing my father, but I've enjoyed being with my dad as he has helped so many other people. And he's instilled that in me, and that's the way it is. You know, I'm, you know, yeah, there's, you know, (laughs) I can't have him (laughs) 24-7, but I've had him, I've had him a long time. And, you know, and somebody said, you know, like, well, you know, Alan McCurk, Mm-hmm. I had Alan McCurrick at the honors course when he was 16 years old, and I don't want to tell you the things I did to that poor child then. But you know, <laughs> are you sure? He you, said, you can "Tell." I've wor- he, he said, "I worked for 51 architects." I said, "Yeah, Alan, I've only worked with one. Right? I've never worked for another architect. I've only worked with one other one. <laughs> right? So I don't have I don't have the influence of all those other 50 architects. <laughs> you know." Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's like what I said about Mickey Powell. You know, Dad helped him out, and we went to pay it back. He said, pass it on. Just, you know. And he's done that so many times, and, you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I continue the same path. That's just part of the deal.
0: Is there such a thing as – in your mind, as sort of the apotheosis of the the Pete Dye design style, is there one course that exemplifies what he stood f- for as an architect or his thoughts on golf architecture more than others? And I'm not asking the I'm not asking the best course or your favorite. I'm just asking: Is there one course?
1: Well, you know, he is he is tinkered with teeth of the dog longer than any other golf course without any outside influence. Okay. No board of directors, none of that shit to bother, him, you know. Mm-hmm. He just goes out and gets it done. And of course the Fon Hull family own it now. But during the time from the inception until, you know, three years ago, I mean you know, he you know, if he wanted to change something, he went out and did it. And, you know, and he loves the Dominican Republic. And as he says The great thing about the Dominican Republic, it's always warm enough to make a turn (laughs) 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 and, you know, but teeth, the dog, you know, dad's done, you know, hundred and whatever it was, 120 or 30 golf courses. And, you know, I know he's got a love for crooked stick and I know he's got a love for the peak die club and, you know, but I mean, he loves them all, but he is really done you know a lot over the years at teeth the dog mm-hmm.
0: what do you th- yeah, what, so. yeah, what do you think of the new 12th hole at TPC uh, no comment okay will <laughs> I won't plumb that I mean I think that I think that speaks for itself
1: I don't like the mound they ripped up between you know six and seven but you know what can I tell mm-hmm. you there's a new architect in town, baby.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Is, <laughs> why did why is it that direction and why did why aren't why aren't you involved? I know that's a sensitive question, but it seems logical that you know you've worked with one architect for your entire life. You might have a good insight into what should be done there.
1: <clears throat> you know, it's just it's just just uh, I don't have a good answer to that question, you know. I'm, you know, Everybody knows my phone number. If they want to find me, I'm available, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I can tell you that I worked on that mound a long damn time ago <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing I ever had to do with TPC was that mound between six and seven. And it was a, a pile of crap would be a compliment to what it was before I got on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you, you were also uh, canoeing around And in, in avoiding poisonous snakes That was before any dirt was moved
1: uh, A kid by the name of David Polstow, we called him Fuzz He and I surveyed that property With a canoe, a 300 foot tape, and a compass Wow Well, that's what you, you know, we didn't have GPSs then. That's cool
0: <laughs> That's very cool <laughs> For those people who have never been in a a real Florida swamp like you find in in northeast Florida, that takes some courage.
1: Well, I was in a pretty good swamp called John's Island back in – how old was I? 12, 67? It was pretty swampy. That thing was (laughs) – Snakes were pretty big that's, back then, That's too.
0: not for me, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> you're, you're tougher than I am. I'm not going anywhere near a swamp yeah, some, with alligators some, and some, snakes.
1: So, somebody asked me, am I scared of snakes? I said, I'll be scared of a snake when they drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and carry a gun.
0: Well, you might find <gasps> some of that in those swamps, too. You never know what you're going to come yeah, upon. But, you know,
1: but the snake's usually more scared of you than you are of <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah,
0: it's not true. The, uh, the other type of hazard... <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll finish up. By, I ask.
0: I ask everybody that I have on the show, just about everybody. This, aside from the golf courses that you've been involved with, that your dad and your family has been involved with. What's the best modern golf course that you've seen?
1: Modern golf, course. yeah, well, something
0: built in the last twenty-five years or so. <sighs>
1: God, doggy, you know. Why don't you just ask me my favorite golf course? I can tell you Fisher Island, but you know. Uh, I know. And in, in in the, in the last twenty five years, uh, I haven't played many golf courses built in the last twenty five years. I hate hate to say that, but I mean, uh, um, and I'm being very honest with that. You know, um, I really, you know, I I really enjoy playing Jack's course down there at Cap and uh, the Dominican, Mm -hmm. because I've, you know, played it a lot, you know, and I I enjoy playing it. Um, And, uh, but uh, being, being very truthful that I'm sitting here trying to think of courses built the last 20 years that I've played. And there's not many of them that I've played. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm sitting here at Urbana country club and I'm on the second tee and I can take my, workman cart to the clubhouse. Uh, uh uh an hour drive away to the east is the golf club. Mm-hmm. Two and a half hours the other direction is Crooked Stick. Um a course I built called Hilliard's twenty five minutes away. I'm trying to think of the other courses I have played and you know, I haven't. You know, I'll I'll play those. I go to the brickyard every year and play the brickyard when we're going to time trials. And, you know, you know, and I'm very spoiled. I live on my golf course in the Dominican. I live on my golf course here. And I don't, I don't choose to, you know, go off campus. You know, I travel enough as it is. And as I tell people, I'm on a golf course every day, just whether or not there's grass on it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's rock and dust and mud and, you know, who knows what. But uh, you know, we just—I was at the Pete Dye Club for two days and went over there and played golf for two days. Uh, you know, and I've—you know—and you know—I'm uh, you know, not ashamed to say, it, but I've never played the Greenbrier and 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 you know uh, the courses over there in, in West Virginia. And just I just just haven't done it, you know. And and I play more different golf courses when i'm with the society of golf course architects uh, then i do the whole rest of the year because you know you're working on your own job sites and and when you're not working on your own job sites you just want to go home
0: <laughs> you know i hear that
1: if, if i'm making a trip i got my fly rod
0: all right well let's do this <laughs> Where, where's your favorite place to <gasps> fly fish
1: well Blackhawk Lodge up in uh, a little town called Clarksville, Georgia, is pretty special. And and I've been over to New Zealand, which New Zealand is just incredible. And I was in Iceland two years ago. I mean, you know, just, you know, just it's, you know, golf and fly fishing have taken me a lot of great places.
0: Sounds like fly you know? fishing, especially. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I keep thinking I want to get on that plane and fly down to the tip of South America and play that golf course. It's all the way down there, at the, at the southern tip, and you know, because you could get there from Punakana. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. But golf tri- golf trips, you know, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm an annual thing. I like to come up here and bring friends up to the Brickyard, you know, and um, well, you, you know, Brickyard cro- crooked stick and the golf club. And, yeah,
0: you could have and, a very you know, full golf life by only playing die-family golf courses. I, I would take that. If, <laughs> oh, you, if you said I, you, you can only confine yourself to die-golf courses, I, I'd be okay with that.
1: Oh you know, it, it, it's not that I'm trying to, you know, be snobbish or anything about it. It's just that it, it's, it's, it's it's accessible and easy. And, and, you know, I mean, as a kid, I grew up playing Pine Tree, which I love Pine Tree and, and Seminole. And and Cypress, uh, uh, which is over there in Point Beach, Florida, and Delray Beach Country Club, you know. But you know, as things have gone through the year, I you know I live on one of my golf courses and or two of my golf courses. I was at Palm Beach Polo Club for a while, and I played the Dunes course, you know, which is another designer. And and, and you know, when I'm in Florida, you know, I play a lot of different Joe Lee or Von Hagee courses and you know know, uh, any golf course that's got grass on it has you know if i'm standing on it that's my new favorite course so i said normally you know i got bulldozers going back and forth
0: well that's 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 a good perspective to have
1: more more fun being with a group of guys and playing golf and and having fun and and trying not to you know i ask people when they get done with playing golf i go no broken bones i see no Remember, aim low, boys. They're riding, They're riding Shetland, Shetland ponies. ponies. You know, the lower you keep your expectation. What are my expectations? No broken bones on the golf course today. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> you know, I haven't. You know, I qualified and played in the U.S. Amateur, played in the British Amateur a long time ago, but I haven't sat on a driving range and beat balls for four hours in a long damn time. So you know, my expectations are to go out and have fun.
0: Well said. We should all we should yeah. all follow that advice. Just go, just, just it, go play. If I had one it, one I, piece of advice, as, that's it. It, it,
1: it. And As I say, I only have one complaint. I don't hit it as far as I used to.
0: <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of, a lot of older guys hit it farther now than they did when they were younger. Yeah, well, I'm you not. Know, those are
1: those, <laughs> those are the pros, you know. But I mean, I, you know, when I was. 22 23 i hit it as far as anybody on the planet i don't do that anymore it's okay
0: that's okay that's there are different ways to play golf we need to diminish our fascination with distance i think that that's a a good thing to end on a good sentiment to end on i hope pb this was a lot of fun thanks for doing it um all the best to your mom and dad they're two of the most beloved people in in the world of golf and great fun talking to you i really appreciate you taking the time to do this
1: I will agree with that. No problem. Okay. Take care. As I say, be safe. If not, be reasonable. And no broken bones. No broken bones. All right, PB. Thank you. <laughs> Take care.
0: Okay. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. That was PB Die, a real character. And I think it's safe to say somebody who considers building golf courses the ultimate form of fun a bit of an elusive guy as well. I I think my hit rate on the questions that I asked was hovering somewhere around the Mendoza line, (laughs) but it did lead to some interesting topics and stories and some uh, interesting digressions as well. I just wanted to make a quick note that the story that we referred to several times in our conversation, Ron Witten's Golf Digest profile on Pete Dye, is linked in the show notes. You can find the show notes on feedtheball.com or on Uh, iTunes or uh, I believe Spotify or anywhere else you can find the podcast. I encourage you if you haven't read that piece yet to go check it out. It's a retrospective on Pete Dye's career about uh, what he's dealing with now, what the family's dealing with, his influence over golf course architecture over the last 50 years, I guess, the influence he's had on Ron Witten and so many others that Pete Dye has brought up through the design business. And it's very heartfelt and very touching. So please give that a read. I don't have much more to add. Just to follow up on our discussion about Marion, during the 2013 U.S. Open there on Sunday on the 18th hole, Justin Rose hit four iron into the 18th green. It landed on the front and chased through to the back. Um, And the hole was playing 511 yards that day, which is approximately 60 yards longer, I would say, than Hogan played it when he won the U.S. Open there and hit that famous one iron shot in. Uh, And then the John Daly discussion, that was the 1993... US Open at Baltus Road, the 17th hole, 630 plus yards. But he did get home or very near home in two, which was a colossal achievement in 1993 using the equipment that they had then. Nowadays, of course, it's not quite as impressive for a PGA Tour Pro to get home at a 630 yard par five and two. Uh, but then it was something quite remarkable. But that should do it for now. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Thanks for PB Dive for spending so much time with me today. Remember to give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at FeedTheBall. And also, if you haven't done so, remember to check out back episodes of Feed the Ball at feedtheball.com. You can go into the back catalog going back to the very first episode with Jim Ang. Uh, lots of great stories, interviews, and personalities. Uh, so if you haven't explored the, some of those older episodes, please do so. I'd like to thank the Sundogs as usual. And until we have a chance to do this again, cheers.